0: Between Us, a conversation series brought to you by the Manifesto. Between Us is supported by Berklee College of Music, the world's premier learning lab for our music artists of tomorrow.
1: Hello, nice to meet everybody. Um, my name's Michelle. I'm the, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of The Manifesto. We're, a, we're actually originally a British business. Um, we started in, in 2012 and all for the purpose of creating a, a new media platform for people in the business of music. And so this year we decided that we would launch a podcast series. Uh, our inaugural podcast series is called Between Us. And when we were thinking about partners to, to help us bring this together, we, we w- wanted it to have a, an educational foundation and naturally we thought of Berkeley and, and coming here to have this discussion today.
2: Hello everyone, my name is Will, I'm from Burlington, Vermont, a student at Berkeley College of Music and I recently uh, have been directing an event at Hacking Arts called um, which explores the intersection of art, science, technology and entrepreneurship.
3: Hi, my name is Taquania. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I'm a music business major and a performer. And I, well, last week I was um, given the title of campus advisor for Grammy U at Berkeley.
4: I'm Nate Albert.
2: <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, thanks so much for um, for joining us at Berkeley, Nate. It's really yep. a pleasure to have you. Uh, just would love to hear a, a brief little bit about your background and um, and some some highlights, I guess. Sure. So su-
4: super fast. Um, I started a band called the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones when I was 13 in eighth grade with uh, my best friend Joe. And uh, we ended up playing through high school and getting a record deal on an independent label here in Boston called Tang Records, then getting signed to Polygram, then being in a movie called Clueless, then being on Lollapalooza, then having a hit and doing SNL, and then I quit. I went back to school um, after being on the road, really for about seven years straight. I went to Brown University to finish... Uh, and then kind of refell fell in love with music when I was at school and kind of off the road and got a consultancy at Republic Records in New York, uh, have worked with The Lonely Island, a bit with Florence and the Machine, signed The Weekend, and here I am.
1: What does a consultant mean?
4: Oh, consultant <laughs> is the best job ever. You're basically paid to just say, hey, this is cool. So I was paid for like a year and a half. I picked good stuff. I mean, I was like, Arctic Monkeys are great. And, you know, there was a bunch of them that were, we didn't sign them, but they were great picks. Um, if you can get a consultancy, take it.
3: How does your musicianship and your artistry affect you as an a and R? I
4: I think that I see myself as just a musician, really. Like, like, I was an artist most of my life, and I still play on records and, and write songs. So... I know the label were very interested in having me because I, ha- I would know what people were thinking, but I, I, can't, I can't, I'm not really great at thinking like a label guy. I think more like a guitar player that has the job of somebody like, that works at a label. So I think it informs my total worldview and my business view. You know, I think a lot like if I was in a band and I was sitting in front of me, what would I do not to be a douchebag? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> that really kind of goes through my head. And also I know how hard it is to tour when you think, does anyone at the label care? Does my A&R guy care? Does my publisher care? Does the president care? Like, I'm killing myself doing this. And I try to make sure that that I at least sh- am showing the artist and getting the label focused and showing we care and we're protecting the vision of the artist that I sign or we sign.
2: The weekend is a, is an incredible example of an Internet sensation mm. uh, turned into global phenomenon. So uh, how, I guess, as, you, as an artist uh, and an A&R, how, how did you... Um, initially signed the weekend what tools did you use to take that internet buzz and really create a global um, act it,
4: it took it took 18 months to sign him from the the point i met him to like okay nate we'll do the deal you know i think that the 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 thing i i again i think i had a band kind of perspective of how can i help so i just started doing the job i i, uh, I was in met him in toronto and then hooked him up with Florence and the Machine for him to do a remix for her with Ben Mortimer, who signed Florence. Um, And I just kind of started doing it. And I think towards when he got to the point when he was ready to do a deal, we were there and he had all the the information he needed to make the decision. And that's another thing that I think is very important is you want to give an artist predictive information because the careers that all of you have chosen are... It's not like you're going to be... in first grade then you graduate to second grade and third grade and it keeps going you have to create these moments to know when to kind of move forward music industry is based on bets in a lot of ways I mean I think some people know great and a lot of people don't you try to control that risk by information you know on are things happening, you try to look for pockets of passion, and that can be SoundCloud numbers are crazy, or something's, you know, consistently going up on Hype Machine, or some radio station is playing a song randomly, and then people are buying that song. Um, I think that's the only way you can kind of hedge this thing, but there's no real hard and fast rules. It's just, it's a dangerous business in a way.
3: Um, so with the shift in culture and media, how do you feel like that has impacted the int- traditional role of an A&R? Like when you think back to Barry Gordy, he, he developed the artists, taught them to carry themselves a certain way during yeah. interviews, dress a certain way. And we don't necessarily have that anymore. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like as the senior vice president of Republic, how do you intend to keep that up?
4: Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, Barry Gordy was like, they were investing for their artists. They were booking the tours. They had their band. You know, the Funk Brothers were doing most of the music. They were writing the songs. That kind of world, I don't know if that can exist again, you know, given that there's no real need for gatekeepers. Like, if you do something awesome, major labels will find you. Major publishers will find you. It's, it's, it, you don't need to try to get a record deal or try to go pitch yourself. It sounds so weird and counterintuitive, but if you could go move to back to Burlington, Vermont, you know, and like really do something insanely no music cool industry there. Right? <laughs> but it is, right? Cuz if you have a laptop, you're just you're you're putting stuff out. We hear so much stuff, but it's always like the great finds its way up and will get a record deal from somebody. So I guess my answer is I don't know that that will ever exist again. I don't know that it should ever exist again. I think there was I, I don't think you want have anybody in your life have that much control. Mm-hmm. I'm really a, a fan of checks and balances. I think you should have a lawyer over here, your business manager over here, your record label over here, somebody smarter than you over here checking all these other people. You know, you really got to watch yourself. Which goes to this thing of like, there are some people in here doing performance, some people doing business, some people. You're all doing the same thing. You all have to know all of this stuff, or you'll get screwed. You can't. You can't go like. I'm just going to be a ripper guitar player because if you are and you don't know contract law and you don't know, you know the history of world art and you don't know what other bands are doing or, or, or how not to sound like everybody else because it's very te- tempting in a music school to sound just like somebody else, which is a disaster. Don't do that. Um, I think you have, to, you have to educate yourself about all the aspects of the industry to be safe.
2: How much of your work is about spotting talent And betting on it versus developing talent to a success, and how big of a role does the fan play
4: into that entire strategy? I think in terms of artists and fans, like artists are so aware of what their fans think now because of social media. It's like horrifying. Like, play a show immediately. Did I suck or was I great? And there's always a voice of my fans, my core fans, what they think, kind of going on. And you have to be very careful with that because being a a successful performing artist is about challenging your core fan base and giving them something else to think about. If they've got you pegged, it's like you're over. You know, when you start thinking like, well, our band, we don't do that, that's when it's like you should just pack it up because you should do the things that you're not supposed to do. That's where greatness kind of comes from. In terms of my job, my job's like insanely different every day. Like... Some days are about finding young talent and, and helping them in, in, in almost like a managerial role. And some days are standing, what are they called soft touch A&Rs, like just getting out of the way and being like, this is awesome, let it happen. And acknowledge that you're not doing it. You know? I think it's very important. I know the difference of writing a song, playing it, having a hit, versus having somebody else do that that I'm in, associated with, you know? I find a lot of people in the industry try to kind of like roll up against that kind of uh, authorship as though they did it. And I think that's very. that temptation is to then get involved in a way that I think can harm the artist. Hmm. You have to know when to just get the fuck out of there and let greatness happen, you know?
1: So just touching on that idea of, of vision and, and how it's, it makes your job more effective to, to work with an artist with vision, can you give us an example of... What does an artist with vision look like?
4: For me and like I work with Fantagram in the weekend um, very closely and but in different ways. Fantagram are looking down the road, this is what they want to do, and they know what it is, but they're still getting at it. They're like a they're like a few years kind of behind Abel. Abel is more like how do I how do I get the whole company to see his vision? And how do I protect his vision within the whole company? And then how do I get the whole company to act on his vision? You know. But he also is looking way down the road. It's like you're either with us or against us. I am going there. This is happening. And sometimes it's, we were talking about the Can't Feel My Face video where we were, I was in the studio with him and Charlie Walk, who's, who's our, um, our head of promotion. Charlie introduced him to Ed Sheeran, and that's where that Ed Sheeran kind of song came from. But Abel was playing a very early version of the record to us, and he said, I have a video idea for this Can't Feel My Face song that Max Martin wrote, and I'm going to be in a bar, and everyone's going to be booing me and throwing stuff at me, and then I, they're going to light me on fire. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's horrible. It was like a semi-panic <laughs> attack intervention. But then we reali- I realized like, just you know, every video he makes is so on point. Like, He knows what he's doing, and it's a brilliant video in... Especially in relation to all these people trying to be so action-packed and stuff. He's just sitting there and they let him on fire, you know. So that was one of like check your, you know, kind of check your ego and get out of the way. And just let, let it happen.
0: Between Us is supported by WeTransfer. The easiest way to send large files for all creatives WeTransfer uses its wallpaper background to support creative talent, and you can learn more at www.wetransfer.com.
2: So about a year ago, we had Lior Cohen at MIT, and I'm pretty involved at MIT. And I think one of the interesting questions that he posed uh, as he was in the early stage of launching 300 Entertainment was, how do you find artists, to, to a group of MIT and Berkeley students, yes, how do you find artists... Emerging artists before anyone else. And we all like, but whoa! Like, if I knew the answer to that question, I wouldn't be at Berkeley or MIT. <laughs> so right. the, the question of, you know, how do you develop these new tools uh, to help music industry scouts sniff and find new artists and detect trends early? And can you speak to how information and conversation about music? So
4: I don't up- know. I mean, honestly, I don't know if like finding them early should be the goal. Hmm. You know, it's like you should find them. They should get good record deals because they have leverage and it, they've had a minute to figure out what they're doing. I think going in them, slamming them with like a, like a like I just you know, I don't know that that you just want to find something great. Hmm. And then over time, it will be great. I mean, the weekend to go back to this was like he had 27 label offers or something insane. You know, it was like it wasn't it wasn't like oh I got there first and then like you know you should you should have a dialogue and they should know if you're an artist I'm going there for a reason
1: what was his thought process on not going with these these other label discussions
4: um I think that we we just kept introducing him to other people in the label again and I started doing the job and he got to know everybody at the company and um when he decided to make the decision it became somewhat self evident for him
3: so most of the artists well a lot what you named are like Billboard Hot 100 artists. So, when you guys are forming the albums, is it a set formula that this has to be a hit, or is it more based on like the music and the artistry? Like, is it this is what needs to be because it's marketable, or is it based on still the emotion behind the music?
4: I think that there becomes a point in time when an artist is, is has made an emotional statement, but also needs to figure out a framework at which to make that statement to a larger group of people. And a lot of it is about structure. And a lot of getting at pop is, is about, you know, are there hooks? Are there choruses where there are? Is, is this a sonata form? Are we doing this, uh, are we making a three-and-a-half-minute song, or are we making an eight-minute song? You know, some very basic ideas to get to pop. The Beatles were you know, brilliant at it. I don't think you have to be one to be the, at the expense of the other. I don't think you can, you know, if I'm pop, then I'm not artistic. Or if I'm artistic, then I'm not pop. But I do think there's a point when you've had so much success, you're just like, okay, I want to go further. And I think being number one in the Hot 100 is a result of that. It's not the goal.
3: So um, last semester I went to... uh Music business, uh, it's kind of like a symposium at Harvard, and one of the one of the panelists said that sometimes they sign artists not based off like longevity, but because they know that this will bring them a certain amount of success for the moment. So when you're looking at artists, do you look for longevity, or is it just this could be an easy catch for us?
4: Um, there's two. There's a, there's the labels, and that labels have to exist. And I think mm-hmm. that definitely happens. For me, my meter is the, in twenty years would I want to go to a show? You have to do something that has meaning and, and is real and resonates. If you keep that as your goal, you will have hits, ultimately. I think if you go for hits, you will never get to that, probably, okay. if, if that's just your goal. I think the, the, the best piece of advice I can give to everybody is you're all going to fail multiple times. And you should be ready for that and kind of stoked and just be like, okay, and keep going because your, your meter can't be whether you fail or not. You will fail and fail again. And that's what it is. That's the job. And the, the artists that, that succeed do it despite having terrible reviews or having nobody show up at their shows. You know, These things happen. You, you have to be open to it. And you have to have the faith when nothing's going on, if you believe it, that it's going to happen down the road. There's a great, what is it, the Thomas Edison, like, somebody asked him. He did the, he was trying to invent the light bulb, and he had failed 10,000 times. Like, these 10,000 times this hasn't worked. And he said, well, now I know 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Like, let's make another one. You know, and he, like, kind of just was, like, at it. So the success for him, I think, was probably just doing it, like, doing it. Make that your goal.
2: Carol Meg, I'm from Italy, and I study songwriting and contemporary writing and production. Mm-hmm. Here, there are many singers and songwriters who put albums out, but then like they don't really know how to um, go to the next level mm-hmm. with the album. So that is mm-hmm. my question: like to get known
4: again. To talk about hype machine, the music industry, A and R in general, love kind of looking at seeing what's going on on blogs um, and one thing you can do just to narrow it down is is look at the blogs that they're aggregating and see okay what is what what are they playing and why and how can i kind of maybe introduce myself to that orbit you know I think putting it up on iTunes or SoundCloud out of the box is not necessarily... Or SoundCloud would be cool, but I mean, I don't know that you want to necessarily go to market. You want to figure out what you're doing and have some reason to. You know, there's this saying, you don't want to promote, you want to kind of educate. So for you, you want to get things just kind of rolling. You want people to hear it in the easiest way possible. I would go, I would look at like artists that you like, kind of think about it a bit critically and go, okay, where are, they, where are they introducing stuff, and how do I um, narrow it down to that world?
2: Hi, my name is West, originally from the Bay Area. Um, I study songwriting and music business here. So my question is, you mentioned earlier that sometimes you feel as though you're almost a semi-manager for, mm-hmm. um, yeah. for your artists or for some of the artists at Republic. Yeah. And my question is, would you mind extrapolating a bit on the extent to which you work with artists managers i mean you're really
4: you're going to war with people you know not like you're against them but you together are trying to figure this out so you were you're you you know are talking to your artist managers constantly Mm. um and trying to figure out okay how do we do this how do we navigate the label I try to be as transparent as possible as to what's actually going on so that they can make the best decision based on reality as opposed to just, oh, it's all good, it's all good. Like, if it's bad, I'm like, yeah, this is bad. Right. And I don't make that call unless I really mean it. So people that have worked with me for a long time, they know, like, whoa, we really got to address this. Um, but it's a constant, like, you, 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 some managers you're talking to three or four times a day, you know, um, and some, when things are just rolling, maybe it's once every week, something like that. But I really think it's important that managers are are active and are giving then that information to their, their artists if the artist isn't available. Like if you're touring, you can't always be up early to be on the phone or be on a conference call. Right. Uh, a, a great managers work in tandem with their, their artist. It's The artist is managing their own career with the help of the manager. There's the, I've never seen it work where it's like, That guy's managing it, and I'm checking out and not doing anything. I'm just doing the music. Like, that's always a recipe for disaster, you know?
3: Hi, my name is Clara. I'm from Newport, Rhode Island. Um, I'm only a first semester, but I want to pursue songwriting. So when you're talking to labels or signing record deals, what are some, like, red flags you should look for as an artist that would, like, avoid pitfalls in, like, your own musical career?
4: Oh, that's a good question. It can be tough if you only have one option, you know? Mm -hmm. Often it's like... You know, then you're kind of working in a vacuum. Right. Um, I think the term of the contract you got to kind of be careful about, like what you what you want to do. I, the best advice I can give you is do sign a record deal when you're ready to sign a record deal. In other words, when you have leverage and when you have more than one option. It's very hard to walk away from stuff, but that's just that's my feelings about it. The first deal I got offered, I just didn't sign it. You know, it was it was terrible. It was like 10 records or something I couldn't do it and I think again it's you know read rock biographies jazz biographies read about contract law read about the history of music you should know by the time somebody gives you a contract what is a good contract and what isn't
0: You're listening to Between Us a conversation series brought to you by The Manifesto Between Us is supported by Squarespace Squarespace a web publishing platform that provides creative tools that power the future of the web. Whether you want to create a blog, e-commerce store or portfolio, you can express your ideas with Squarespace. Learn more at www.squarespace.com.
4: This podcast was brought to you by Boomshakalaka Productions.